You're listening to the HR Happy Hour Show with hosts Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland. Since 2009, the HR Happy Hour Show has been bringing you thought leaders, workplace and technology experts, academics, and more to take on the most important and interesting topics impacting work, human resources, technology, and the workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net. Welcome to the HR Happy Hour. I'm your host, Trish McFarlane, and today I am very excited about our show. I have a very exciting guest, uh, Stephen Bruce, who is the Managing Director at PeopleFluent, and we are going to be talking all about merit and merit matrix. But before we get into the meat of the show and bring him on board, I know he's waiting patiently in the wings for me. Um, we do have a couple quick updates for you. We have um, the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network shows update, which is that we have several new shows that have been posted in the last two weeks. So please go out and give those a listen. We recently did one with Pink Fortitude, which was all about handling autoimmune disease at work. And if you're not familiar with that, uh, Steve and I weren't very familiar with that. It is a whole host of diseases that really impact a large number of people in the workforce today. And these are protected um, medical conditions. And so if you're in human resources and you're not really familiar with that, please give that particular episode a listen. It was very, very interesting. And we have a lot of resources following that particular episode. Also, we are booking shows for uh, second quarter of 2020. So if you have an idea, a topic, or a guest that you would like for us to have on the show, you can tweet us at HR Happy Hour, or you can go to hrhappyhour.net and use the contact us screen there and shoot over an idea and we would be happy to talk through it with you. Also, my last announcement is don't forget that we do have the HR Happy Hour show on Alexa now. Um, we are nearing our, um, oh gosh, several hundredth show at this point. So Um, In order to add that, you can go to your Echo Devices flash briefing skill, search for the HR happy hour on the Alexa app and add us that way. And you can get a quick little two to three minute show every morning. So with that, I would love to get right into this this show today. We have, as I mentioned, Stephen Bruce from PeopleFluent. And Stephen is the managing director and responsible for leading the PeopleFluent business. Stephen has been an executive in the software industry for more than 20 years and previously held a number of leadership positions at PeopleFluent, including Chief Customer Officer, Chief Commercial Officer, and Senior Vice President of Product Management. Drawing on his experience, PeopleFluent provides world-class enterprise HR technologies and talent management software that help companies build and power a productive workforce. So Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Trish. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to be here. Oh, good. Well, I know we sort of, we go way back. We've known each other for a couple of years. Um, Definitely don't get to catch up often enough. So I'm really excited to have you on today. Um, One thing that I I really find interesting, and I love to have guests on the show who've who've actually been in the trenches of HR, um, much like I have, and that's really your background. You 
you've spent quite a bit of, of time in your career working in human resources, being a human resource practitioner and leader. So before we really dive into the, the show topic, I wonder if you could maybe give our audience a little bit of background on your HR background and how you really got into more of the technology side of things. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question and a, a question that I get quite often um, as I meet with people and, and talking about the people flow in business and the, and the talent management software that we use and, and, and develop and sell. Uh, for me, it was an interesting path. Um, I started off in recruiting in the, in the 90s um, and, uh, and really consider myself to be an HR practitioner, although I've been out of HR now for five years or so and, uh, and run uh, a software company. It's hard not to go back to my roots uh, within HR. Um, but even from the earliest days, even from the early 90s when I started off in recruiting uh, and prior to getting into HR management and so forth, I think I've always had an intense desire to learn the business. I, I felt it's very difficult to um, obviously hire for positions if you don't really understand what those positions are, how they fit within the greater context of the business and what the business does to really grow and, and develop so that when individuals want to, uh, to, to work for you, they, they, will, they will be excited. And maybe it's the sales side of me because I started off in recruiting agencies back uh, in the 90s and then I went uh, in-house. and. Uh, I think that really that per, per propensity to really want to drive um, knowledge of the business and understand the business really fit in when I got into HR and we were starting to put together organizational plans and performance and development and learning and uh, everything to, uh, through to how do we reward and advance our people. And it it, it it really drove a lot of the the topic that we'll talk about today, but understanding the business and, and being in software my entire career, it gave me an unusual ability to really understand across every element of the business, how the business operates uh, from a management uh, perspective, and which allowed me to uh, initially get into roles like product management, where I could use my HR uh, knowledge and understanding to really drive product direction. It, it stemmed the, a, a lot of the feedback and input that we did to drive our acquisition strategies as we acquired software capabilities over the years, um, which then moved into my uh, roles in driving really sales and uh, sales operations and sales support. Because now one, once you understand the product, you understand how to go to market with the product. I, I, I did a stint and, and ran product marketing for a period of time, marketing programs. Uh, and then uh, kind of sales operations, sales uh, and commercial operations, then uh, chief customer officer as a head of uh, services and support. So at that point in time, I had run uh, for to some extent pretty much uh, every operation of the business except for, I think, finance and, and software engineering itself. Um, and so it, it's allowed me to move into this role, which is great. So I, I'm, I'm hugely grateful. I think it's awesome to have uh, an HR um, background and leading these solutions because it allows me to put, uh, I think, a much more defined solution and strategy around how do we solve these HR issues um, coming from the space and coming from that expertise. You know, thanks for sharing that. I think that your background is is very similar to mine and that um, really demonstrating that, you know, having that that strong understanding of how a business runs, how a business makes money, how they um, hire, go all the way through the employee life cycle. I mean, that that's really so valuable when it comes to the way that the solutions are designed so that it's not 
um, sort of, you know, sometimes there are solutions that are designed without a problem, as you know. And I think the perspective that you're bringing to it is really, you've lived it, right? So it gives you a different um, capability of having conversations, I would imagine, not only from working with your development team in, in deciding which direction to take a product, right? Um, having that that true, you've experienced the pain. Um, but also when you're sort of sitting across maybe from a customer or a prospect even, um, having that ability to say, look, I really do understand. And being very sincere about saying that what you're building is designed for them, is designed for their needs and their issues and and their challenges. So do you yeah. find that that's been helpful to you as you've had those conversations? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, I've lived their pain. I understand where they're going through. At some point in time um, in HR, I've been through pretty much every evolution of a company from startups to turnarounds to companies that were declining to uh, you name it. So, uh, and uh, companies characterized by change where there is tremendous amount of mergers and acquisitions and reorganizations and layoffs. So at some point in time in, in my HR career, I think I've, I've probably lived through about every different example. So it it is nice to sit down with a customer and have an understanding of where they are in that evolutionary path of what they're trying to accomplish. And then we can say, here's how we do it. And it it, it serves, I think, extremely well because it's easy for me to say, here's here's how our solutions would attack that strategy and here's why you would want to maybe consider people fluent um versus just coming out with a sales pitch because i'm not a sales guy mm-hmm. you know, I'm, an, I'm an hr guy who just right. happens to uh to, to sell hr software well one last question from me before we really kind of dive into the main topic and and that would be you know we do have a lot of um listeners who ask those questions about okay i am in human resources and maybe they're more junior and they're just looking ahead down the road of what are my career path opportunities? Um, of course, staying in human resources is always one that we we know is obvious. But you know, I do find that that many times, even people who are more more senior HR professionals, they they might feel stuck. They might feel a little burned out. They're very shocked that they can either get into you know the technology side, the analyst side. What what would be a piece of advice you have to someone who's maybe looking to do that? Where where did you find information about actually making that switch? Was that something you sought out or how did you educate yourself, I guess, to get yourself prepared for that, that career change? Yeah, it's a great question. I, it's not something I actually sought out. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I, the biggest advice I would give HR, uh, uh, you know, practitioners or HR people is really understand the business. Uh, and there are books out there, um, you know, the, what the CEO wants you to know and, and, and other things that I think are all beneficial. Don't get me wrong. Uh, probably a little bit more generic and, and may not be uh, a, a, a real value to, uh, uh, to the listeners. I would say you have to really understand the, the business. Second, be curious. So really look at not only understanding the business, but how does your role, uh, your organization, your department, your overall function really lead to advancing that business um, and then what are there ways in which we can improve upon the processes, systems, people um, to make that improvement uh, a reality from an execution standpoint? And it sounds so basic, um, but I've worked with people who've been in HR for 20 plus years who didn't really understand what business they were in. <laughs> um, and to the extent that you can really understand that, then you provide value. And once you provide value, depending on whatever trade or characteristic uh, that really drives your passion and where you want to go, 
the opportunities will open up and, and provide themselves. It, it, it may be in the form of um, commissions and sales operations. The next thing you know, you're running sales operations for a company or totally outside of HR. It could be in the creative side and, and how do we message and communicate internal communications and all of a sudden you find yourself in, in marketing. If you provide value um, and look at constant improvement, um, management recognizes that, at least good management will. Um, and to the, express, to the extent that you express interest in doing more, um, which is what I did, um, that's when the CEO came, came around and said, Hey, I have a need here. I really think you could add value. And, um, it went from there to leading and, and, and I applied that same premise that I had applied in over 20 years of HR to, in, in this case, product management, product marketing, and then it led to, you know, the sales piece and, and so forth. Great. Thank you so much. I agree with you. I, I think, you know, definitely within your own company, if, you know, if you're a listener and you're thinking about this, go and do volunteer stints too. go to your marketing team, go to your CFO, your CEO. Yeah. Volunteer like crazy. Talk with your sales team. Um, really try and understand the business. That's absolutely people are very tend to be very warm and willing to you know have someone who's very interested in what they're doing. And I think on the flip side, too, when I when I did work in product, then, you know, years later, after I had been in HR for almost 20 years, um, you know, we loved um, having customers or prospects want to meet with us on the product team, right? And, and give us feedback, work with us, partner with us. So that's another way too. if you have any interest in the technology side, you know, talk to your vendors, right? Work with them, uh, give them feedback, help them with the roadmap, offer, you know, to be on panels and uh, focus groups and things like that. I think, too, that's a good way to sort of start bridging the gap and just to even see if you'd be interested in working on maybe the product side um, within human resources, too. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Be, be an expert. I, I, I think if you're an yeah. expert, there are companies that will want you to potentially implement their software, implement their solutions or services, provide consulting. There's there, it, it's interesting. I think people don't think of HR as a hub uh, for, for all the spokes that can lead off of it because they think it's somewhat verticalized and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and separate. But, it, you know, you think of it like any other sort of business. There is an entire HR industry. And within that HR industry, you're a domain expert. And to the extent that you can apply that domain expertise to and offering a business, software services, consulting, um, everything from benefits to uh, recruiting to just basic back-end core payroll and other processing, right? There's all of that expertise you have. It's a matter of how do you want to deploy it and move forward with it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know what? With that in mind, obviously, you've proven to us that you have those those uh, expertises in the various parts of human resources. But, you know, today we really do want to sort of dive in on on compensation and, and merit and and how that's handled. And for many years um, in our careers, I know that, you know, companies are still using sort of that merit matrix design. And it was designed in terms of trying to pay people for their performance. But as we both know, as our listeners know, that's not always easy to achieve um, because of the, the subjectivity of it. So could you maybe just lay out um, where you stand in terms of how you feel about that, what you're hearing from your customers. And again, this has been a topic kind of in people's minds for many years. What is the perspective of people fluent in, re- in relation to how you're approaching the merit matrix now in 2020? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think, uh, and, and just to be clear, we absolutely want to drive pay decisions based on elements that impact performance and other things. I, I think the concept of the merit matrix design being flawed is the, is, is the fundamental premise that it's allowing for too much of the discretionary decision to, to be utilized in the tool that doesn't allow for any type of review. And when you start to think about people being the greatest expense within a company, it's easy to understand how companies really misspend billions of dollars uh, because they aren't looking at compensation as a strategic reward tool. And the, the fundamental basis of that is, well, our merit pool is only 3%. You can't get anything done with 3%, so why bother? And which is, which is a mistake. And, and if you're talking to a CEO and you're trying to advance your own career, at, the, at some point, you're going to not only talk to the CEO, but you're going to talk to the board of directors. And within the board of directors, you're going to talk to a compensation committee. And they're going to want to have a structural process of how they're going to deploy this $50 million merit pool and $100 million incentive pool. Um, and you need to come to them with a greater level of strategy than, than purely a merit matrix that looks at two factors. It looks at performance rating and some form of compa ratio or range penetration. So where they're at from a pay within the market. And if you don't have um, a structured approach, you're, you're, you're gonna struggle. And so when with our, with our compensation solution, we have the ability to drive uh, almost infinite level of configurabilities around how do you take certain data elements and apply that to a distribution of pay. Um, when I first looked at the merit matrix, the reason why I was originally disenfranchised with the concept is um, the pure mathematical aspect of the merit matrix in and of itself. So you have this matrix where if someone is a low performer and overpaid, they obviously have uh, no increase. And if they're a high performer and underpaid, they have the highest level of increase. And then it just radically uh, 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 diminishes in, uh, you know, based, on the, based on where that employee fits within that, uh, that matrix. The concept is great, um, but people are humans and humans have a very emotional concept around money. And when you sit down with them and you say your increase is 5% and somebody else's increase is 5%, they just look at that as a 5% or a 2% or whatever the increase percentage is. And the merit matrix itself doesn't account for or take into account any other factors. And from a software industry perspective, um, I have software architects that are extremely difficult to find, um, extremely difficult to find great ones, they eventually, eventually one of them will become uh, the, the future chief technology officer. And I need to think about ways in which our organization within HR is going to put together a program that really drives value to them and versus some of the other roles. And at the end of the day, performance rating in and of itself and or market pay in and of itself is really limiting in that regard. And this is the premise where we started to say, if you start to think about the difference in you know, a, a range, so a merit matrix may give, for example, if your meets expectations and you're in the second quartile of the salary range, it'll give you, you can give a two to 4%, okay? Uh, it's a standard uh, merit matrix. The difference between two to 4% on a, on a $75 million merit pool is millions and millions of dollars. And so then how do you determine, is it the lower end of the 2%, is it 4%? 
how do you continue to allow your managers to provide discretion? Because if it was purely a mathematical calculation, we wouldn't even need the managers. And you need their input, obviously, um, because they know the individuals. It's about how do you put together data elements around the, the concepts of performance. And certainly, you want to take into account their, 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 uh, their pay as it relates to market. Um, and then use that in a structured approach that you can, one, monitor, manage, report on, and then actually demonstrate to a compensation committee or a board of directors on. I have a structured approach. So at the end of the day, whether it's the CEO or the board, you're, you're entrusting this HR function to deploy $100 million. I'm showing uh, and I'm demonstrating an actual structured approach to how we're going to ensure that money gets to the right employees. And that's ultimately what it's about. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I tell you, I was like making notes like frantically because, you know, you talked about find, the difficult to find or fill jobs. Uh, that is one thing, you know, it's not necessarily accounted for in a true matrix that HR professionals are using with their, their managers and their leaders, but it's definitely something that weighs on the decisions. And you're right. If you're given guidance of, you know, a, a range of, you know, several percentage points, it really can make a huge difference on what you pay. The other thing it reminded me of, and I have to admit, you know, fully that I was brainwashed into this is the way that it's done, right? From, from my master's program, this is how you learn to do it. This is how you learn compensation strategy. I worked then for Big Four Public Accounting, which, you know, it's, it does enable you to have those conversations with people because of sort of the appearance of the mathematical calculations of compa ratios and whatnot. But it's all those other factors like, you know, we need to pay this role more because it is hard to find or to fill or we need to keep this person or whatever the other factors are. I think the other thing that comes into play, too, is it doesn't take into account that you're, you know, you're giving this range you have different pay philosophies from different leaders, right? So I've certainly had some managers who are like, look, I'm going to give everybody, it's going to be like peanut butter, right? We're going to give everybody 3% just so I don't have to think about it. And I don't have to have a hard conversation. Whereas like as, as a manager, I was more the person like, I'd rather give one person 7% and everybody else none, you know, but like, so that's probably extreme, but you know, it, it's like, yeah, no, I, I'm the same. I'm the same way for sure. And right? I, I believe in that same concept, which is there are certain leaders that are certain individuals that you're going to want to invest in. And there are others there that because you have the limitations of a pool or a, a budget, um, it, it will impact. It. Yeah. So but even if you're the head of HR and you're dealing with managers who all have a little different approach or, you know, philosophy around how they want to pay their teams, um, you know, with with everything else being the same, it's like, you're, you're going to have huge discrepancies then in, you know, with someone with a certain performance rating who might look just like someone else's performance rating in another part of the organization and their, you know, their compensation is wildly different. So um, what I would love to hear more is, is about, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're creating something that's highly configurable that takes into consideration different data elements, um, you know, as people are going through this process with PeopleFluent. What are some of the other data elements that you find really valuable based on your experience as a leader, um, but then also as someone who's now on, on the software side? What are some of those elements that you're finding most important for your customers? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think it depends somewhat based on those. And I've deployed uh, this model now for over 15 years. And, uh, it, you know, what we look at and it, at people, it might be slightly different from what your business looks at. But I, I think there are fundamental aspects of the role. So if I go back to my same software architect example, um, I have a software architect and it it's, it's not that their salary is not different from, let's say, another support position, which is lower paid, because obviously the pay in and of itself for the position and the level will, will, will determine the difference in roles. But 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 people don't necessarily think of that. Right. They, they think, well, that person got a three percent. I got a three percent um, sort of thing. So we look at loss impact as a massive uh, uh, factor. And how do you deploy? So you need to look at performance. Um, and you need to ensure performance is consistent, but we could probably talk for another hour on on the the necessity for these instruments and the strategies of how do you ensure you have consistency in your performance evaluations across different managers, as you as you explain, because there's that's an absolute issue today. We we wouldn't have to pay equity issues, in my opinion, if if there were better structured processes of how we work across different management teams and their. And, and and their inability, I think, to apply things in a in a consistent manner. But if, if we stay on compensation uh, for a moment, you have to have performance, and you need to look at market pay because you need to be able to retain. Um, but loss impact is a huge one because you're looking at how does the position think about revenue generation, cost savings, productivity, and how difficult is it to replace that role, and what is the complexity of that role compared to other positions? And so you're, you're looking at these data elements that you can then gather. Um, you're looking at potential. So now some, you know, or, or promotability, depend, you know, every organization has a, a different lens as to how do they drive, whether it's future leaders or hypos or um, other attributes. It, it, you know, are they assigned to critical projects and, how have they done in, in working with peers and others? So th there's a there's a potential in promotability. And the reason for that, again, similar to my software architect is, okay, I, I have all the, not only do I have the software architects, I know that th this role is more critical. I want to invest my dollars more in retaining these and, and in investing in these this this role. But now I have multiple software architects. Who's my, who is my future chief technology officer? And how quickly are they developing? Are they are they ready now? Are they ready in three years? Are they ready, you know, and and in uh, some sort of a program that I need to develop them to get them to that point? And how I de deliver my pay uh, increases in my investment in those individuals will depend on those data elements. Um, we usually use excellence in service or some form of customer service. So not only because every single role within a company has a, a customer. It may be an internal customer. It may be partners. It's obviously external. Uh, clients and so forth, um, and consultants or other third parties. But at the end of the day, there is a way in which they interact. And what what we've what we have developed and what I've developed over time in prior roles prior to, to PeopleFluent is this concept of taking the performance and taking um, market pay, and then having these you know expanding salary increases and adjustment factors around potential, around promotability, around loss impact or customer service. And those are measurable, right? So when you report on that, now you can get down to a granular level of being able to sit down. Because oftentimes what I hear is HR people will say, well, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I, we've got HR business partners. They sit down with the managers and, and they do that on a correction basis. So they ensure that there's consistency in how uh, salary or, or some form of compensation is deployed. But the reality is, how is that possible? 
right? Without these other data elements, how are they going to sit down with a manager and look at this merit matrix? Because so long as they're within the, the range, one to three percent, two to four, four to six, what, whatever the what, whatever the range is based on the quartile, based on the uh, uh, the, the matrix position, um, how do they know? Because they don't have those data elements. So it's the ability to grab those data elements and say, all right, well, based on loss impact and based on their performance and based on uh, potential and promotability, and maybe it's a, a skill or competency assessment that's driving some of those uh, potential drivers, um, it'll be easier for your business partners to say, it doesn't support or recommend this type of increase. And why, so why, why is this happening? Um, so those are the, those are the, some examples, but it depends on the industry and it can, you know, it can certainly depend on what are the business measures that the organization is looking at from a delivery model. It's the ability to capture those within some form of a system and deploy those within to the compensation process so that you can report on it real time because you know those things all need to be uh, entered managed or measured if that makes sense no it does and thank you for giving some examples i i think those are all very good for you know the listeners to be thinking about um as they you know are going through their own compensation reviews that are they're probably coming up for um you know mid-year here shortly one of the things as you were talking to i'm sitting there thinking about you know i i also have heard that argument of, oh, we have a business partner that's going to sit down with that manager or leader to kind of make sure that they're, you know, not going uh, straying too far from where they should and, and, you know, pay equity and and whatnot. But again, you're right. That's not a, a very reliable way to measure what they're doing. And I think also the, the limitation there without using the, the technology to sort of report on that measure and report on that, you know, I've been that business partner when I was much junior in my career and you only know what you have access to, right? So you're not seeing the big picture. So again, sort of back to that idea of, you know, I knew that my particular teams of several hundred people might, you know, overall the overnight increase might've been like a 5%. Well, to me, it, that, that wasn't really that much money, even though you're talking about several hundred employees, it's, it could be a good chunk of money, but you're not looking at it from an organizational level standpoint. And so, you know, if you rely only on the business partners to have those discussions and make those decisions um, without the technology to sort of roll it into something bigger, I think that's where the very top you were talking about, you know, two, two or 3% could really mean millions and millions of dollars. Right. So yeah, it, it's huge. And I, yeah. I and I've, I've been in the same spot. In fact, I remember, in the in the 90s literally sitting down with spreadsheets uh, we oh, were, yeah <laughs> we were this company we were only I think at the time um, 4,000 employees and um, but I remember sitting in Toronto and going through spreadsheet after spreadsheet comparing the increase recommendation to the to the matrix calling up the general manager or the head of the business and and literally line by line and, and they used to do it with highlighters and <laughs> it's quite it's quite a manual process it was all printed out in paper and then we would make these changes. But um, at the end of the day, that's a, that's a flaw that the, the whole system is horrible. Cause how does, how does a general manager know at the detail level, why this person is versus it should be three and a half percent or 5% versus 2%. It's, it, it, it's almost, um, it, it's almost impossible. I think um, you need to have some form of automation to track and manage. So then you can really jump to um, exceptions, right? You, you're looking for a system that you can deploy that's structured so that 
at, at a company level, you know, the money is at, to the greatest extent going to the right people in the right amount. Right. Um, right. But that it, it really is about, in my opinion, creating some form of business case for change. And that's the hardest part, I think, for HR in deploying something like this, which is you need to be able to sit down with executive leadership and say, this is the, the approach that we're using today is flawed for these reasons. We need to have a better understanding of how do we deploy compensation. And part of it is putting together some sort of structured process, but also the business case. And I, I learned in the early, uh, in the, sorry, in the mid nineties, um, we used to do training uh, and we used to do salary training where we would deploy um, a, a, a fake set of employees, uh, a fake set of data elements, uh, predominantly around market pay and, and, and performance level, right? We would deploy a, a, a sample merit policy or merit matrix, and we'd ask them to deploy it. And what was so interesting to me when I would watch this and conduct this training myself is we did this to first level supervisors and managers all the way up to the C-level, CFOs, CIOs, CEOs, and so forth. And what shocked me more than anything in conducting this training, and I've done this now for a long time in six, seven different companies, uh, is that when you, it doesn't matter what model you deploy. Some people will use the, the model. Some people will do the peanut butter approach that you mentioned earlier. What did shock me is over 90% of the time, the, the, the respective group of managers deploy 100% of the pool every time. Meaning, regardless of whether or not you set the data to justify a full distribution of your pool, they, mm -hmm. they, they use the logic you give, but they deploy 100% of the pool. And there were times where I, I saw this and I wanted to test it. I'm like, this is unusual. So I would set the parameters to be, there was no way they should have deployed half of the pool based right. on the employee performance and the data I gave them. They were all overpaid. They were all middle to low level performers. <laughs> they still deployed 100% of the pool. Um, and what it taught me was that managers use policy process and systems to the extent that they're educated in how they deploy that. And they hadn't thought about, well, no, I shouldn't deploy all of the pool um, because it wasn't earned. There, there isn't a model for it. And whether you believe in a distribution model and a curve and uh, stack ranking and all the other things that happen within HR policies over the last 30 years, um, the, regardless of, 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 the, of the distribution model, there should be some element of, of, of math as it relates to does, does the individual uh, deserve um, the, the, the level of pay or, or compensation reward? And um, that's really what it comes down to. If you, if you look at challenging the data, pulling it into some form of a of a model where you can actually model it out. I think what you will find, and we did this back at, at PeopleFluent in the 2015 range. Um, and uh, it was interesting for us to just, we used anonymized data, so it wasn't any one company and it wasn't any one level or job and so forth. But just if you, if you, if you looked at rating scales on a point value system, looking at the distribution of pay based on different point values, based on any, any role, right? Because it was anonymized. Um, it was really telling that a lot of um, there was very little to no consistency. Low mm -hmm. low performers were paid on average as much as high performers, and people who were um, supposedly high in the range from a, a market pay or copper ratio or range penetration perspective 
they were still getting the same amounts as people who were low in the range, which which really is, I think, indicative a little bit of um, why why there is this need for change and why we need to build the business case. So, you know, fundamentally, I would say have a have a policy, have a process, uh, feel compelled enough to be able to sit down with senior management or the board of directors and say we need a process, and the process that we're doing is not. Um, meeting that requirement. I think most HR practitioners would look um, back and say, we need, we need, there, there is a, a reason for change. Um, what you will find when you do this is that you don't have the pay equity issues that you normally have because you're taking the discretionary um, elements uh, to the extent that um, they don't align with the data, right? They, they they don't have the loss impact. They're not high potential. They haven't led in performance or service excellence or how whatever elements you're using. Um, and what you'll find is that they, whether it's gender, whether it's uh, race or ethnicity, at the, at the end of the day, what you'll find is the distribution matches the performance, which is our ultimate goal uh, when we deploy a uh, when we deploy compensation. So it has it has a secondary benefit in that you will drive, um, you know, I'm convinced of this because I've seen it myself in many years deploying a similar model, is you don't have to worry about the inequities caused because you're 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 taking that discretion um, out of the of the manager really just deploying whatever they want to give uh, and you're applying it consistently consistently across the entire organization. Um, it, it has that secondary benefit as well. Yeah, I, I think you're giving our listeners a lot to really think about and, and some action items too, because, you know, again, when I think back to the way I was raised to do this, right, the way I was trained to do this, it's this is really different, being able to step out of of HR's comfort zone, right, of the way that we've been doing this for so many years and doing it really where it's not advantageous to our company, right? Or, or to our employees to do it that way. Um, the inconsistency really probably breeds far more problems than, than what our managers and leaders think they're solving for. So I, I think that's probably if I were, if I were still with the practitioner hat on, that might be my only pause is like, look, I, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for a long time, yeah. but I think that you laid out some really good reasons why now is the time for that change. And not only just now is the time, it really is upon the HR leaders, the HR teams to work together to facilitate that change and make that business case. Because now that we do have technology that supports having all of those other data points that can be considered, um, when you think back to, you know, several years ago when HR was saying, well, we don't really have data to support, you know, our, our strategic role or our strategic opinions in the company. Well, now we do. So I think as companies are are starting to use this, here is a great real example of where it'll be difficult for sure, right? To change anybody off of how you do compensation is always a challenge. But I think that's where if you're, you know, if, if it's a current customer of yours, if it's someone who's maybe not using a tool like this and they're thinking about talking to you, uh, looking at people fluent solution and, and thinking about how this can actually benefit the way that they do their business and the way that they pay their people. Um, you know, now is there's no better time, right? 
Yeah, and I would say, you know, when I originally started deploying these, we, we, we used everything from spreadsheets to, to Microsoft Word and evaluations, everything you would you would think is, is kind of normal. Um, what I would say for customers today or, or HR practitioners who are looking to deploy something like this, you're right, the automation is so, there's so much out there. You know, what uh, I, I tell our employees, you know, our, our products will allow organizations to do world-class HR if they just take advantage of the capabilities within the products. And what I mean by that is so many of the systems out there today, um, it's almost like reporting after the fact, right? They run this process in this system that tells them this is their performance and they put that data into a compensation system and then they run compensation and they realize, you know, some of my performance data wasn't really <laughs> equitable, which then impacted my ability to do compensation. And now all of a sudden I have adverse impact and I have an issue. And now all of a sudden you're, 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 you're marking privileged and confidential with your, with your HR teams because you, you're worried about um, how this distribution is going to be viewed within the organization. It's really important when, organiza when organizations are looking to do these types of processes across all talent. It's not just compensation. It's recruiting and, and advancement and performance and others to look at systems that will use the benefit of the data real time so that it allows HR the ability to go in and then make a change to it. So you're not just reporting after the fact. And we're, we're probably the only software that I'm really aware of where you can literally be making individual assessment type evaluations on loss impact or, or performance or or potential or other, whether it's a nine box, however you do that within your organization, a proficiency level within a competency or skill, and have that ability to pull that into your compensation planning real time while you're doing your planning. And even before they even finish the the actual talent process of that assessment, right? To be able to use real-time data across both of those processes where you can step in and say, whoa, 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 based on this type of distribution and the data, it doesn't add up, right? You're, 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 right? you're making exceptions to that. And so to me, I would say that's absolutely critical for people to consider, um, you know, having all of these using the strategies that I mentioned today, less impacted and, and really minimal value if you're just reporting on it after the fact, then you're going to be the, unfortunately, you'll be labeled as the, the compliance HR person that's just addressing problems, right? And that's what, and that's what we want to avoid, right? We don't, we don't want to come in after the fact and say, you know, we have a, a whole bunch of lawsuits waiting um, because one, then you get into a risk decision and that's a different conversation that nobody wants to have. Um, it's really about, can I find a system where I can actively interact with my, uh, with my managers during the process so I can drive change for good. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, listen, Stephen, obviously you've given us a lot to think about. Um, where can people connect with you? Obviously on the PeopleFluent site at, you know, peoplefluent.com, but um, where can they connect with you personally if they have questions or just want to learn more about PeopleFluent? Um, what's the best way to find some resources with you? Yeah, I mean, certainly hit the certainly go to the website. We have blogs and others. Uh, my certainly you can always reach out to me directly. It's Stephen dot with a ph. So Stephen with a a ph dot Bruce at PeopleFluent. Um, I'm happy to. I I'm at a point in my career where I love to provide guidance and mentorship uh, into other HR practitioners who are early on and looking to advance themselves. I didn't necessarily have that. There were a few individuals that I was extremely lucky uh, who were heads of HR who um, just provided me some guidance and some mentoring and, and some ability. Um, and I'll be forever grateful uh, to them. And 
um, I, I, I try to connect with them uh, on, on occasion because they, they've since now re retired, but um, were really meaningful for, to me. So to the extent I can provide some guidance or value, I'd, I'd be happy to do that as well. Great. Thank you so much. You're, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, we all can sort of point to a, a person or two who kind of took us under the wing. I actually was just um, emailing with mine yesterday. So yeah, um, it's awesome. you know, those, they're like lifelong relationships, you know? Yeah, you, it really is. I mean, I remember one, um, I, she was leaving um, because there was a change in CEO and it's common that when this change in CEO mm -hmm. comes, they change out the management team. And I was devastated, right? Because she was right. kind of mine. She's kind of my mentor and it's like, oh, my, you know, I can't believe they're doing this. You, you've been so wrong, you know, sort of thing. Right. Um, and she's like, this is this is senior. This is senior leadership. And, and the, you know, this this person wants to bring in a, a management team that they have confidence in and they've Ooh. they've worked with before. It's not a reflection on me. Um, uh, you know, I've had a great run and I'll do some great things. And um, she was so calm and relaxed. I just remember at the time I was thinking, oh, it's, but um, it's a. Uh, it, it's it's interesting to see you when you get that perspective. I would take advantage of it, take notes, and and I've always looked to emulate as I was growing in my career, emulate leaders that you really thought think highly of and how they communicate, articulate, drive value, um, it, it, and it will really it'll really pay dividends. It sure does. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. I mean, just your coming on the show today has has certainly um, put you in a position of being a mentor for all of the listeners. So I, I do thank you for that. Um, thank you to um, People Fluent for um, agreeing to do the show. I, I think that if anyone is interested in learning more, they should absolutely visit your site. As you mentioned, you have blogs and other resources out there. Um, and that was one way that I used to train myself and train my teams, even if I wasn't quite in the buying phase at that very moment. It was certainly um, a good step to go ahead and start building those relationships uh, with a vendor so that when it comes time to make a decision, you're already feeling somewhat comfortable and knowledgeable. So they should absolutely check that out. Um, we will put the links in the show notes um, on our website and on Blog Talk Radio. Um, also, remember for everyone to subscribe to the HR Happy Hour wherever you get your podcasts. And... Um, Stephen, uh, thank you again for coming on, and we look forward to speaking with you hopefully uh, soon in the future. Yeah, thanks, Trish. I, I really appreciate it. Great. Well, that's a wrap for today's show. Uh, again, find HR Happy Hour. Let us know if you have any uh, topic suggestions. And for now, we'll go ahead and sign off. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour show your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.